I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Our housing generation gap. A new study says people under 40 are less likely to own their own home here. Between 2015 and 2019, Ireland actually saw the the largest increase in in the share of young adults aged between 25 and 34 uh, living at home. Also coming up on our programme tonight, a tourist is left in a serious condition in hospital with life-changing injuries after a brutal assault in Dublin city centre. We get reaction. In sport, a penalty by the Matildas saw Ireland lose 1-0 in their historic World Cup opener. We were in Sydney with the fans as the action unfolded. It's also a penalty at the end, right? If, if they did it from play, fair enough. But because it's a penalty, it hits a bit harder. I couldn't be proud to be Irish. Oh, it was unreal to see the girls play. Like, felt so proud and it felt like we were at home. Yeah, yeah. it was amazing. First tonight, a new report has highlighted the growing age gap when it comes to home ownership. The ESRI says that people under 40 are much less likely to own their own home. It says that the gap in home ownership between those over 40 and under is Europe's highest, something which can be linked to the large number of adults living with their parents. Well, to discuss this now, I'm joined in studio by Damien Tiernan, WLR broadcaster, Louise Byrne, political correspondent with the Irish Daily Mirror. Austin Hughes, economist, and on Skype tonight, we're joined by journalist Suzanne Harrington. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, This may come as no surprise, really, to anyone in the country right now. We talk about a housing crisis, Austin, but it's a housing crisis that really younger people are are bearing the brunt. Um, There is this giant gap in home ownership between young and old, and the have-nots really are the under-40s. Yep. It is a crisis here. There's no denying. And it is becoming worse, you know, by the day or hour, depending on how what part of the market you're in. But the bones of this report actually say that what we're seeing here in Ireland is being seen in most other European countries. So when you look at the details of the report, they're saying that you have the same difficulties for young people really right across Europe. Uh, And the item you mentioned there in terms of the gap between older age groups owning homes and younger age groups owning homes, that's largely because there are more older age groups in Ireland owning homes because of a tradition that went back, whereas there was more social housing in Europe. The proportion of young people actually who are living at home is lower than in many other countries. Now, that isn't to say this isn't a huge, huge problem, 
but the statistics are suggesting that it's not unique to Ireland. And the fact that it's happening in a lot of these other countries suggests that really there isn't a magic bullet, there isn't something we're doing terribly wrong. We do need to build more houses and make them more affordable, and so do most other countries. You're not saying the market is dysfunctional then, or there's a problem, or there's not a great need for housing to ensure that people under the age of 40 are, are, are not living um, with their parents, but in fact living in their own homes. I, I'm saying there is a problem, there's a crisis, you know, but it's not a crisis that's unique to Ireland. Uh, and in terms of the, the data here, the proportion of young people living at home is much less than in Spain or Italy or Greece, uh, you know, to take a few of those countries just off the detailed report. What I'm saying, though, is that right across Europe, there is this sort of problem. In Ireland, it actually could be worse and feel worse because we have more young people. The populations of most of these other countries tends to be that bit older. But what it is a crisis. Something needs to be done about it urgently. But I think when you look through the details of this report, it says there isn't something we're doing wrong now and that if we just follow country X, we can get it right in the morning. We need to build a lot more houses. We need to invest a lot more mm. in these houses. But the reality is there's been a very significant change. We didn't build houses after the financial crisis. We made it harder to borrow for houses because of the problems in the financial crisis. The central bank introduces various restrictions. Our population over the period of this report, 2015 to 2019, grew 12.5%, the rest of Europe 0.8%. So the number of people in the country grew 15 times faster than elsewhere. The criticism so this there is, the is that we didn't plan for that. We, we didn't plan, and there is a real problem there, and a lot of it is around economics as well as politics, because people said the economy will never recover, people are never going to come to Ireland, and that's really what we need to do now. We need to say, OK, we need to plan for an awful lot more houses over the next 10 years, but we're not going to build them in the morning. Yeah, I suppose, Louise, with all of this, the frustration is, could this conversation not have happened 10 or 15 years ago instead of happening, you know, right now when we're, we've such a housing deficit and we do have, you know, a population who should be in homes, who are living still at home with their parents or paying extortionate rents and can't afford to buy a house. And I think this is a conversation we always have when it comes to housing. Why wasn't this done before? Now I think everyone can accept we had a financial crash, things had to be picked back up, but the downturn in the building of houses, it's still coming back to bite us really. And it's remarkable because this report, it measured up to 2019. We've seen how high house prices have gone since then. We've seen how rents have gone up since then. You'd wonder if it was done today, would it perhaps be as positive. Um, you yeah, know. I mean, that's the point as well. This is 2015 to 2019. An awful lot has changed in this country between 2019 and now in terms of where we're at with, you know, housing affordability and accessibility. Yeah, I mean, there was statistics in that uh, report today saying that Irish households pay one-fifth of their net income on housing. I mean, you'd have to wonder, seeing how rents have gone up in the last couple of years, if that report was done today, would that be much higher than one-fifth? So I think these are all the things that kind of have to be taken into account when you're looking at this report. It is a couple of years old. Now, I suppose the government would say that since 2019 and since it came into place in 2020, it's working on building houses. It's put in place the housing for all plan. They would argue that that has had success. The opposition, of course, would argue it hasn't. Taoiseach Leo Varadkar said a number of times recently that it appears house prices have peaked, but if that's the case, they're peaking at very high levels. And I think that's really 
really disconcerting for young people, especially those, like you mentioned, who are living at home and or renting and because they can't save given the high prices of rent and the amount of money you need these days for a deposit. Yeah, it, There's a sense of an innate unfairness there, isn't there, uh, Damien, that, you know, for this generation, Millennials were, were too young to buy when prices were lowest a decade ago. We didn't build for a growing population and a growing demand. And now crippling rents mean that people find it very hard to get themselves a home. Very much so. When I was 28, I was able to buy a, my first house for €40,000, a small little cottage. I have a close relation, I'm not going to name him. He's uh, just turned 40 now. He hasn't a hope of getting a house. And there's tens of thousands of people probably watching this tonight that are stuck in that. Now, he's not living at home, but not far away from it. And I agree with Austin on a couple of points about the fact that the government didn't build, and they failed abysmally, to build affordable and social houses over the last 15 years. But there was a couple of points, Austin. The largest increase in 25 to 34-year-olds living at home in the European Union countries that were surveyed is Ireland. So we have a rental market that is unsecure and unaffordable, whereas in lots of parts of Europe, they've other affordable things. Another very important point, we've the largest share of single adults living as independent households in the EU. That's 11% compared to 40%. So I know everybody can take different facts from different reports, but to me that shows that we have hundreds of thousands of young people probably that are in a really, really difficult situation. And if it was government policy, Maybe there was no policy. They should have known. They should have seen this was going to happen. And the fact that they didn't, because a lot of them are intelligent people, it, 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 it's really, really upsetting that they didn't see this happening. Yeah, well, Austin, what it, would you it, say it to is. that? Are we really comparable with the, the rest of Europe? In many ways, we are an outlier when it comes to how our economy is faring versus... Yeah. housing on the ground yeah. and the ability to have a roof over your head. This is the difficulty, you know, for... You know, about five or six years, the narrative was we will never need to buy another or build another home. All our young people are leaving the country. Instead, we've had very significant, really rapid inward migration, the fastest rate of population growth in this group which of we were countries. To, which we, that, we were trying to drive. The government was trying to drive in order to rebuild ex the economy. Exactly. But, but not planning behind the scenes. Th this is the problem. The joined up thinking has been lacking. And I, I think there's a failing in the economics profession there in as much as too much focus has been on, we have to be very careful about the fiscal position. We have to be careful not to make exactly the same mistake we made in 2006, 2007, 2008 in terms of building too much and spending too much money. But this is a much worse mistake and it will take longer to cure. And it is urgent that the government does step up housing. I'm not dismissing the, the issue. I'm saying that there isn't a magic solution tomorrow, okay. but we do need to do a lot more. Let's talk about the social consequences of all this, because we've, we've talked about um, adults living um, at home, um, adults in the attic. Um, journalist Suzanne Harrington is joining us now. Suzanne, you are a mum, you have two kids, and um, you say one is travelling right now, but, but you, you, you have a daughter living at home. Um, you are that generation who has their own place, but your kids don't. Yeah, and my son is back next week, so they're, they're both going to be here. Um, and it's not because of avocado on toast. It's really not. It's not because, it's you know, low wages, gigantic rent, um, massive deposits for um, buying somewhere. And uh, currently, we live in the UK. I'm from Ireland, but we live in the UK. 
nobody can get a mortgage. And so my solution to this event, you know, which is kind of a desperate one is I'm going to I'm trying to sell my house and, you know, divvy up whatever is left once we pay off what we owe from the mortgage and see if they can get some, you know, see if they can have it, then have a deposit for their own place. And um, I can't even do that at the moment because nobody is buying houses in the UK because of the crazy interest rate situation. So we're living in a house that we can't afford because of interest rates making it unaffordable. And I've got two young adults who are stymied by a dysfunctional, as you said, dysfunctional housing market that's being run really for profit rather than for the people. It's 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 quite a thing and it's changed ra radically and drastically for the worse. Um, in it's interesting years. when we talk about this being about far worse for under 40s than for over 40s. But what you're saying is, you know, there's consequences for everyone here. Mm. So, you know, just because, you know, you may be in a, in a situation where, where you have your own home, um, it, it means as a, as a family unit, you're still together when, as you say, you know, your kids might like their own place. They will have plans for their future and everyone is impacted by this situation. It's arresting their development because they can't just take off. And so we've had to, uh, like sort of from a psychological perspective, we, there is an element of, 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 of blockage or arrested development. It's not, it's a very, very, having a house, I can't tell you how lucky we are to have a roof over our head. And there isn't a day goes by that I don't appreciate that because the alternative is, you know, living in our car, but, it's not, it's so far from ideal that they can't peel off and begin their own. They, they, they literally can't afford to rent even a, a tiny place because the rents are astronomical and there is no social housing anymore because it was sold off under, over here it was sold off under Thatcher and hasn't been built, there hasn't been anything built since. So really without rent control, without, because we fetishized property. We've all become property developers. We're all watching property programs. It's kind of messed the, the housing. It's been made the house, houses a housing market rather than places that where people live and raise families and then move on, you know? Yeah. Austin, just to bring up that point when we talk about, you know, how it's stymies development and, you know, for adult children living at home, what's the economic fallout? If people are, are stalling on making those, um, you know, big decisions on life, on settling down, on starting a family, um, you know, wh wh what does that mean for a society? Yeah, e economic independence has changed. Now, there are actually good reasons for this. You know, part of it is that we've more people continuing in education until their early 20s and that. We've the highest share of graduates in the workforce in the European Union. So that's a good thing. You want that. And of course, that's going to translate into more people living at home for longer. Uh, but hopefully, you, you know... Do you, you know what? Even when I was in college, um, you know, well, certainly post-college and, you know, first job and all of that, you wouldn't have been earning a lot of money, but you could afford to live with a few yep. mates yep. in a place. You could do that. Yep. But right now, I mean, you could be uh, simply the matter, the, the, the fact of the matter is it is it is grossly unaffordable even for people who are working full time um, to move out and maybe be able to rent it, it is really difficult there and it does stymie development. It stymies kind of 
people's lives, really. It stops that, which is unhealthy for a society as well as an economy. An economy doesn't function without a social fabric, and that's where it becomes damaged. But the reality is, you know, we can tackle this by spending significantly more. The, the finances are not the issue now. The will is over the next while. The important thing is that we realize it is going to take a couple of years to actually make a, a clear improvement in this. Um, it's interesting about finances not being an issue because we've actually underspent, haven't we, on our capital spending when it comes to building these houses that we know are so desperately needed, Louise. Yeah, and this has been quite a big issue in the Department of Housing. There has been a huge underspend there. Um, I think the figures were perhaps close to, it was a couple of hundred million anyway, I haven't got them off the top of my head, but this is the issue and I think this is what the opposition are saying. When we're in this place, when there's such a cry for houses, when things are so unaffordable, why is their money going unspent? Now, I don't know, I don't think you can say it's true lack of will because we've seen the plans put in place. The question is why is the money not working? We've allocated 4.4 billion euro to housing. Um, owner Bryn was out in the Plinth and Leinster House today and he was suggesting that more money had to go to housing as well. And I said to him, well, what's the point in putting more money in housing when it can't be spent in the first place? And I think... What was his answer? He said it was a good point, but he he said that, you know, that the government needs to look at what it's doing. It needs to look at the bureaucracy that's in place yeah. when developments are being put in place and the kind of the broader picture and the kind of development that can be done. We know the amount of houses that we need, but the question is, why is the money not being spent to get there? Yeah, it's interesting because there's a story actually in today's Irish Daily Mail, an article from Craig Hughes revealing how the number of new houses actually being planned by government is nowhere near what we need, that's according um, to internal documents um, from the Department of Finance that, that the paper has seen. Um, and that actually, while we're building an average of, say, 34,000 homes over the stretch of this housing for all, we need somewhere closer to 50,000. We do. And there's lots of aspects of the housing for all document, which is really good, which are really good. A lot of the new schemes the government are rolling out, excellent schemes. But in a way, it's kind of putting a, a sticking plaster on the, the sore wound that is the housing market for the last 15 years. And the major problem is, will they be able to build enough houses over the next few years to keep them in power? Because as Austin knows, as we know, it's all about economics and politics combining. Mm -hmm. And I'll say they're going to try and build as many as possible. Remember Leo Varadkar there a few months ago? He came out at a Fine Gael parliamentary party meeting, I think it was, and he spoke about the extra tens of thousands of houses that were needed. That just seemed to come out of the blue. That wasn't part of the Housing for All document. So even already, the Housing for All document, I think, needs to be updated, needs to be changed, needs to be reviewed. The government still haven't got a handle on this, you know? So I don't know, it's generation locked out for many, many people. Yeah, I don't know if Suzanne is still with us. Um, she, uh, Susanna, just to ask you about your kids, do they have any sense of hope with these plans that are made that, that we are look, we are building, we're building at a record rate like we never have before, um, or we haven't at least since the, since the 70s or whatever, whatever we've been told. Do, do they have a hope that they will um, actually be able to move out, that they will be able to you know, find somewhere that's affordable to rent and eventually own their own home? I don't think that they've got any ambition for owning their own homes in the in the in the mid future in the mid in the midterm. I guess eventually they will move out, and you know what they what they've been saying to me is they don't want to live in a really expensive, grimy pit, because unlike our generation, we were able to 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 affordably rent. I think maybe you know the only way these days to for people to 
be able to buy their own place is for the, the parental support. So if you've got a mom or a dad who can bung you a deposit, then maybe you can do it. But if you don't, then I, no. And I mean, I'm I'm one of the no's. So unless unless some unless one of us wins a lottery at some point or sells you know sells my house so that we can divide up the pro proceeds, I I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Okay. It's not that automatic thing that it used to be, where people just you know saved up a few quid and bish bosh got a house. It's, yeah. Doesn't happen. It's not it, it certainly does not happen that way anymore. Um, Suzanne, thank you for joining us um, with your thoughts and with your own experience um, that relates um, to this story. Well, moving on now, and a US tourist has been left with life-changing injuries after he was attacked by three youths outside his accommodation in Dublin city centre. The man, aged in his 50s, was kicked and beaten by a group of youths on Talbot Street um, after he left his accommodation nearby. And Dublin's Lord Mayor, Dahi de Rochta, will be meeting with Angela Willis, who's the Assistant Garda Commissioner in charge of the city, to outline his concerns about policing. Well, for more on this now, I'm joined by Dublin City Green Party Councillor Janet Horner. Uh, Janet, uh, give us your reaction to this attack. Described as entirely unprovoked, um, that the victim who was in his 50s, a tourist who had been here before, he's, he'd visited the country before, um, familiar with it, um, was attacked, kicked and punched as he lay on the ground. Um, and he's now um, in, while not a critical state, he has been left with life-altering injuries. I think it's a really shocking incident. I, and I think, firstly, just to offer my sympathies to the man involved and wish him um, a really speedy recovery. But I think it, it it is really shocking in many ways, but in some ways it isn't because we have seen a spate of these similar kind of attacks and, and quite violent instances in the city centre um, at different points over the last um, year and in the last few years. I think it is really notable and it is really concerning that many of these attacks we are seeing are being perpetrated by young people, by teenagers even, who are um, inflicting acts of quite significant violence on other people. I think it is also notable that a lot of these attacks are ones we're sort of seeing in the media anyway, are, are against people who are maybe visibly outsiders, whether they are tourists, whether they are LGBT minority people, or whether they are um, visibly ethnic minorities as well. And I think all of those things are incredibly worrying mm. trends Just, to see in the city yeah, at the moment. And, and Janet, on this, like people will ask, how could this have happened 100 metres from the entrance of Store Street Garda Station, the country's largest Garda Station? How could that have happened? Yeah, and again, I think it, it really shows that we can't solely rely on policing solutions here. These things are happening across the city, um, but you know, we don't, policing alone is not going to solve these issues. We have had a history and a, a long um, trend of particularly young people involved in crime and violence in the city recently. And I think if we really want to solve them, it's going to take a lot more than policing. Having more guard stations, having more guardy in the street is not going to solve it. It can happen in the shadow of, in the on the front door of guard stations. We need to see proper resources into youth programs in the inner city, into sports, into diversionary programs, into um, creative outlets, into anything that is. It's not a coincidence that these things are happening more when the summer holidays are happening and when there just isn't the same level of activity available for young people when school is not in session. And we know that there's been a spate of other types of criminality in the area as well. So we need to see young people given alternatives 
to, we, to how to spend their time. And Janet, just briefly, Helen McIntyre condemning this attack, strongest terms saying that there will be a tough and firm response, but what response are we likely to see? Again, like when, and I don't know the f full details of this case, I don't think any of us do, but that we, what we have been told is that it is young people involved in it. The criminal sanctions to criminal justice are limited when it comes to teenagers, and it is one of the major limitations of trying to take a criminal justice approach to this as well. So I think if we are talking about, and I welcome that the minister has said that there will be a strong response, but I would also really like to see that invested into okay. supporting right. programmes for young people in the inner city, not just criminal justice sanctions. Okay, and just to get reaction to that, Damien, I mean, the, the GRA, like just talking about Garthy on the beach when we see this has happened, as I say, outside uh, Store Street Garda Station, so close by, and there are other couple of Garda stations within the vicinity as well. There are 60 fewer Garthy in Store Street than there were three years ago, according yeah. to the Garda Representative Association. I mean, does this have a part to play in what, what we saw this 100%, last 100%. You could talk about anecdotal evidence, but people feel it. There are not enough Garthy on the beach. There needs to be more visibility. A lot of guards have been moved into specialised units over the last number of years. So maybe Garda management have to look at reallocating resources, which brings in the whole issue of rosters. We heard about the Garda rank and file giving out about that this week, and rightly so. There's major issues there in terms of recruitment, retention, but certainly, and I think the minister needs to instigate a city centre task force involving all those different departments. It was done before, around 15 years ago. Pat Lee was talking about it. It's, it's a really, really good idea, but it needs to be done straight away. If not, I think it's going to get worse. Yeah, and the sense um, from this, Louise, is that, that sad, even how appalling it was. There's no surprise that this happened. Yeah, and I, th I think that's a real shame that people aren't even surprised by these kind of things anymore. But I actually think Janet's dead right. I think you have to look at the things that are put in place for young people in the city. Um, there has to be some kind of parental responsibility here as well. What kind of supports are being put in place for families if there is antisocial behaviour, if they're having problems with teens? It all comes back to, before you, I know guards are very important. We need more guards on the street. We need that visibility. But you need to kind of prevent these things from happening in the first place. So you really need to look at the supports on the ground. And I think that's what the government really needs to knuckle down and do now. Okay, there we will leave it. Uh, my thanks to Austin and to Suzanne and Janet. Um, Damien and Louise are staying on with me. Coming up next, disappointment for the girls in green on an historic World Cup day in Sydney. Do stay with us. Welcome back. It was a disappointing start to Ireland's World Cup campaign against the hosts Australia in the opening game of the tournament in a very tight contest. Ireland lost 1-0 in Sydney. Well, Paul Quinn uh, reports for us now from Sydney on reaction to that big game. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, what a night it's been here in Sydney. The atmosphere out at the stadium was simply electric. There was such a buzz. More than 82,000 fans watching the girls in green taking on the Matildas in this opening game of their first ever Women's World Cup. And there was no doubt about who the loudest and proudest fans were in that stadium. The chants were going from first thing and continued uh, right throughout the game. They could be heard... uh, belted out across Olympic Park and it was kind of surreal at times and despite the results I think uh, you know the girls really showed uh, that they deserved to be there and that Ireland deserved to be on that world stage and it was lovely talking to fans as they were uh, coming in uh, many of them families with young kids boys and girls who felt it was really important uh, to bring them to this event many who've lived in Australia for several years others who've traveled thousands of miles uh, right across the world to be part of this special event and them talking about you know the tonight win lose or draw they said this the impact of this is really going to be felt uh, for decades in uh, women's sport here in Ireland. Even afterwards, fans were full of praise as well for the girls' performance. There was a lot of, um, I suppose, expert commentary on whether or not uh, the penalty was deserved, but that's for another day. Uh, we've seen, particularly over Sydney over the last couple of days, what this team really means to people. Uh, as I mentioned, those who've travelled so far uh, to come and to support them. And look, the girls will dust themselves off uh, for their next game uh, against Canada next week. And I've no doubt that the same fans will be even louder and prouder in Perth next Wednesday. They arrived to the Sydney Stadium in high spirits. Thousands of Irish fans there to watch history in the making. Everybody at home is delighted, they're all waiting for you on the couch. It's massive to be here, it's great. It's a great buzz, isn't it? Yeah, it's unbelievable. We've never seen the amount of people we've met here at that home and everything, like it's great. Just look around you, it's fabulous. The atmosphere is unbelievable, it's like Italian 90. My daughter, man, winning football, you know what I mean? It's an incredible night and it's, it's fantastic, not just for football in Ireland, and women's football in Ireland, but for the country. Those that travelled from home and many more who now call Australia home. This was a moment not to be missed. 83,000 people and it feels like a home game. It's so good, what a feeling. Despite Ireland's best efforts and a couple of late chances, the Matildas held on to secure victory. We just had the heart, you know, and I thought we were going to just nab a draw at the end. And it's only the penalty at the end, right? If, if they did it from play... Fair enough, but because it's penalty, it hits a bit harder. Ah, but I couldn't be proud to be Irish. Oh, it was unreal to see the girls play. Like, felt so proud, and it felt like we were at home. Yeah, yeah. it was amazing. They did great. Like, it was just a really good atmosphere anyway, and we had so much fun. To be honest, the I think it was a very won. competitive game. I thought Ireland would get it at the end, but they didn't. Penalties, not a goal. We were louder than the Australians. <laughs> yeah, way louder, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really fun, because we started some chants. And what were the chants? Uh, we went. Do sing it, go on. We went. Alay, 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 alay. 
Vera's Green Army now have Perth and the Canadians in their sights. Olé, 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 lives on. Well, Damien Tiernan and Louise Byrne are still with me. And I'm also joined from Australia by Irish Times journalist Louise Lawless. Louise, you were at the match. Um, it is a result we'll be disappointed with, no doubt, but we were always going to be up against it um, playing the hosts of this World Cup, weren't we? Um, it was a narrow loss, though, in the end. So something to take um, some hope for from this performance. Absolutely, yeah. And there was so much talk in the build-up to this game about Sam Kerr and the home crowd and Ireland being the underdogs that the pressure could have really got to the women's team, to the Irish team, but we saw that they didn't allow that to happen. So once we sort of saw that they settled, it felt like we were given permission for our standards to be raised for them. I think going into this game, if you had said it's going to be 1-0 loss with a fantastic performance or with a decent performance, we'd have said, oh, we'll take it. But actually seeing them, we're going, they're going to be upset that they didn't get their draw. And uh, I think it's fair to say that the draw was within their grasp last night and they'll be devastated to have let it go, but they'll take heart going into the Canadian game next week. Yeah, I mean, going into the Canadian game, do you think they're going to make many changes or that they will, obviously disappointing to have given away that penalty and to lose like that um, on a penalty. But, um, you know, what will they take from that going, going into you know, the, the game next week. They have a few days to recover now and then travel across the country as well. Yeah, so I think what we've seen from this Irish team is that they favour a defensive stance. But what we saw in the last 15 minutes was that when they are attacking, they are very, you know, they're very powerful in attack when they give themselves the opportunity. And obviously, we'd like to see that a little bit sooner. So I would hope that they would take that on board now that the first match is behind them, they're a little bit more settled. The nerves have probably settled a little bit. Um, you'd be hoping that the attacking will come out a little bit more next week. Tell us about the atmosphere in that stadium tonight. Or, you know, it was today. It was, it was last <laughs> night for you. Uh, it's early in the morning and it, it was earlier in the day for us. But, I mean, it certainly looked um, like it was really buzzing for the, for the Irish girls. Yeah, like Paul was just saying in that VT, the atmosphere was electric. I don't think I've ever been at a game where the Irish crowd were more vocal and more consistently vocal throughout the whole thing. You could hear the fields of Athenry, stand up for the girls in green, ole, ole, ole. Like they just were consistent no matter what the score was or where the ball was. It was just, it was like unlike anything I've ever experienced. Louise, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for, for, for bringing us all that um, from uh, the match day. We do appreciate it. Not at all. Thanks for having me, Claire. Um, just to come, come to you on this, um, Louise, you've got pals who are over in Australia. They were at the match now. They were in different pockets around the stadium, yeah. but you, you, I suppose you saw it all played out in videos that were sent to you and what they post on social yeah, media. Yeah, it was lovely to see. And like, it's so far away and they are so far away from home. And, you know, that comes with its own, its own troubles. Like, and you miss your family and all the rest of it. But I think a lot of the Irish community in Australia travelled together. I have friends who are living in other parts of Australia who actually travelled to Sydney for this match. And they were posting videos from outside pubs, from outside coffee shops. And this morning they were singing Stand Up For The Girls green and they were just they're just having a great time it was almost you'd almost think that they were home to be honest and then they were posting videos from inside the stadium and they were all in different kind of pockets but you could tell by it that it was just electric and they just seemed to be having a great time and some of my girls in Dublin were saying that they were quite jealous perhaps the ones that have come home from Australia were saying they wished they were there for it yeah there's nothing Damien like a World Cup pose <coughs> is there but I mean like there has been criticism that with all of this we're not seeing the same you know em emphasis on it as yeah, you as you would with the yeah, no, that doesn't matter. This is for all the women that have played soccer and all women involved in 
the, the fighting at the minute to try and get rights within the Gaelic uh, Ladies Association mm -hmm. and the Camogie, this is for everybody. We had a woman on this morning, Mary O'Callaghan. She was on the very first Irish team that played the very first friendly in 1973, 50 years ago this year. And she's like, she was nearly in tears. It's for all those that have fought against the inequality. Like a lot of these players had to go on strike nearly effectively. Like they, they got involved in the union to basically say we deserve proper treatment. So it's for all that and the excitement and the younger players coming up, the quality that some of those players have. I think we should maybe look at starting Amber Barrett possibly against the Canadians. Don't know if Vera Power is going to do it. I think Larkin did enough to maybe warrant a start today. They're really, really good. I'd say they're going to go defensive and maybe try and get a... They need to get a... If they lose against Canada, we're out. Yeah, Louise making that good point that they kind of settled into the game. You know, we, oh, we, didn't, see many, we didn't see many nerves. They, no. they, 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 they could probably embrace the atmosphere as yeah. well, took a lot from that crowd that were there. Many people who travel long distances and then others, of course, who, who are in Australia and just wanting to give all their support for the team. But that probably really buoyed them up for that match as well. Ah, it's, it was just brilliant, wasn't it? It's just so exciting. And it's going to build now for next week for Canada. We will hopefully expect a result against Nigeria. We have to get a result against Canada. If we lose against Canada, we're out, barring a miracle. So yeah. we, we need to get a result. Louise, would you expect to see a, a bit more build-up here in this country, more bunting around the place, more in the shops? It's very hard to see any sort of merchandise standing out when you're even in the supermarkets, as you would normally get when Ireland are playing in these you know, big championships, let alone a World Cup. Yeah, well, I was in a supermarket recently and they had, you know, the face paints and kind of T-shirts with Irish flags. And I was like, why have they got that out? And it was only when I thought about it that I realised why. And there was no advertisement for why they had the paint, the face paint, any of the rest of it. I've seen a lot of commentary on social media over the last couple of days. We know we have the Men's Rugby World Cup starting now um, in, you know, September, October. Already the new kits are out there in the shops. They're front and centre and perhaps you need to look a little bit harder to find the Irish women's football stuff. So I think, you know, I don't think the importance of this can be underestimated. We know how teenage girls fall off from sport the older they get. We know that participation levels drop. And that's why I think seeing these girls doing what they're doing, and indeed with the Irish rugby team as well, the women's Irish rugby team, how well they've done, it really, really is important. So there really should be a song and a dance about it. It's our first World Cup in 20-odd that's yeah. right, yeah. 2002, yeah. the men's last got in it. So, like, yeah. for any team to be honest, brilliant, brilliant. We do, we live for them. Um, and my thanks to uh, Louise Lawless in Australia. Uh, Damien and Louise are staying on with me because coming up next, the record-breaking heat domes right around the world. Do stay with us. Welcome back. Last month was the planet's warmest June ever since records began, according to America's National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. Meanwhile, Italy has put 23 cities on red alert as temperatures reached 46 degrees Celsius. The heat wave has hit southern Europe during the peak summer tourist season, breaking heat records, including in the Italian capital, Rome. And I'm joined now from there live by Irish tour guide Sean T. O'Salic to join to talk about those record-breaking temperatures there this week. Um, you've seen nothing like it. You've been working in Rome since 2001. Sean, and you've seen nothing like the temperatures that you've experienced. No, not at all. Um, last July was quite bad, July and August, but this is much worse, you know, and uh, customers are suffering on the, uh, the tours and so are the staff at the museums. They're feeling it too. And heat stroke is a problem, you know, 
Yeah, tell us um, about your job because you are a tour guide in the city. You're bringing people around to all the sites yeah. that they'd expect and love to see um, when they go to Rome. But, but they're really bearing the brunt and really feeling that heat hard. It must be pretty difficult to operate. It is, and we've been trying to start early or late in the day. But you know what? By 9 a.m., all the museums really open at 9. By 9 a.m., it's already stifling hot. This morning, we had about 14 customers on the Coliseum, and um, some of them arrived in a taxi. And when they got out, they just said, we, we don't think we can handle this. And then there was another customer, an American guy with his wife, and he decided that he would sit it out and follow, find us on the way back. And he tried to follow us, and he caught up with us. And he was only in his 50s in good health. But he was vomiting and um, vomiting is common. That's ha happening every day. We're, we're handing out umbrellas and um, obviously they're going to the water fountains, but there's queues at the water fountains. You know, in Rome, you can just get water everywhere in the street. If they try to get into the fountains, that's a problem because they're Renaissance fountains. They were built in the Renaissance by a very famous artist from that period. So um, the police are, you know, chasing them out and uh, it's really quite tough, you know. Flights are leaving Ireland absolutely full and uh, they're still coming are you, despite and, the warnings. Uh, Sean, are you surprised to see uh, tourists and Irish tourists continuing to arrive in Rome uh, despite these, I suppose, look, they're, they're hitting headlines right across the world. We've been talking about it all, all week here about the temperatures in Southern Europe and, and, and how Rome and other cities in particular are affected by this. Are you surprised that people are still choosing to fly over to holiday despite these temperatures? I am, but I but I am and I'm not because since COVID ended, um, rec record it's record numbers in tourism. And if you don't book in advance, you just won't get spots. So I think they're thinking that they planned this months in advance and they're still going to go. But I am surprised and I've been emailing them. And I mean, last year I made a YouTube video telling people not to come. And I mean, it's not my interest to say that, but it is tough on them, you know, with heat stroke for the staff and like the tour guides, you know, and then you see the kids, no matter how good the tour guide is or how wonderful the attraction is, the kids are just destroyed. Okay, and just briefly, do you plan, I mean, if we if we see these temperatures remaining as they do, I mean, you're talking about it feeling but it being between 46 and 48 degrees um, in Rome today. Will you have to cut short um, the job and just choose to stay indoors yourself and, and not continue with these tours? You know, we're managing. Um, one of the uh, customers called us yesterday from Florence. We do tours in Florence as well. And she said, the tour guide is on the ground. We're giving her water. So I'm, I've been asking people to be flexible and understand and understand us if we can't do a tour or we have to cancel. We haven't had to cancel. We've just had to, um, we've managed to just, the tour guides have managed to hold up because we've been living here and we, uh, but it did hit us like kind of sudden. Another problem is the Vatican. I mean, that's not air conditioned. It's uh, parts of it is, but most of it isn't. And you have to be fully dressed going in there. So the customers arrive in the searing heat and then they have to go in, you know, fully dressed. And the, the, the staff are there are overwhelmed. It was it's an ancient palace that wasn't built to be a museum. You know, um, it's sh short and narrow corridors, all that kind of stuff. Oh, pretty, so um, pretty, pretty you know, unimaginable um, without air conditioning. Yeah. Sean, we'll have to leave it there. And yeah. um, do try and stay safe no in problem. those temperatures. Take care and thank you for that. We will. Um, hard really to imagine what it's like there. Of course, it's polar opposite here. And we're seeing we're seeing a complete swing. This is all part of, of the you know, the global warming and the, the climate change we're yeah. seeing. And I think what we're going to see this week is for the first time, people are going to really experience, I suppose, weather and climate coming together. So, for example, 
the devastating and dangerous consequences, unabated human-caused warming. That's effectively what we're looking at. And it's not without going into the facts, and everybody should read Greta Thunberg's climate book because the jet stream and how it affects. So if you're going to basically get hotter areas, they're going to be hotter for longer, and wetter areas potentially then wetter for longer. That's what we've had. We've had a very, very wet July. It's just frightening. Like, I know people are thinking of going to Sardinia in the first week in August, and I don't know. Yeah. I know it's it's hard. There's such beautiful parts. There's such be beautiful parts of the world, beautiful parts of Europe. But with those temperatures, you can also see as well why people do want a holiday. They want a break. They want a break from home. They want a break from this weather as well. So, uh, yeah, it's very difficult to imagine. I want to talk briefly about news that just emerged this evening. Um, and that is that RTE's Director General Kevin Backhurst met with Ryan Tuberty in person earlier this week. That's according to an RTE statement. Um, what do you take from that, Louise, that meeting? I mean, it was sort of teed up that Kevin Backhurst would seek, seek to speak to Ryan Tuberty without his agent um, in, in the coming days. Yeah, RTE not necessarily the most forthcoming with information on this this evening, but it does appear from that statement that the meeting was just Ryan Tuberty and Kevin Backhurst, which... Kevin Backhurst has been saying all week he wasn't, well, for a number of weeks now that he wasn't interested in engaging with agents. Um, it was described as a good conversation, an honest conversation, um, and that they're going to meet again in a couple of weeks. And I think what really needs to be looked at and thought about now is Ryan Tuberty's future in RTE. Kevin Backhurst has said a number of times that he will make a decision on that in the coming weeks in the fairness of everyone. So you'd imagine perhaps that next meeting in the next couple of weeks will be the one that tells us what's going to happen go forward. Damien, do you think he'll be back? I don't know, genuinely don't know, and I don't know if Kevin knows yet. I know Kevin fairly well from when he was there as Director of News and I was there as well, and he's a really good chap to, to talk with, and I'd say he'll get lots of views from different people. He's been around the country as well, hearing views from people. So I don't know, and I don't think they know yet either. Yeah, um, and we'll have to see how that one plays out. Um, certainly with all the reports and various audits going on, there's a lot more um, that's going to emerge from this story. Okay, uh, to serious matters now, Taylor Swift tickets, <laughs> briefly, Louise. What about Barbie um, and went, Ken? I'm we will the... talk about that, look, we'll get to it. <laughs> we don't have long, but I promise we'll get to Barbie, uh, Damien. But just on this, there's been a lot of controversy about, look, there was controversy all round about um, whether you'd be able to get tickets, what you'd pay for a hotel. But it's emerged that people trying desperately and being accused for hours to get a ticket were offered these VIP packages costing some 500 euro um, to go and see her in concert in Dublin. Yeah, and I think it was quite a convoluted system and I think that kind of gave people false hope that they might have a better chance of getting tickets. You had to pre-register. Uh, some people got the code to go onto the website to try buy tickets. Other people were waitlisted. So I think a lot of people thought they were going to have great success this morning getting these tickets. We saw tens of thousands of people in, queue, uh, in queues and they didn't seem to be moving down. And by the time they did get into the queue, or into the actual platform to buy your ticket it was just these vip tickets left and i don't necessarily from what i saw the commentary i don't actually think they were even that great tickets i think no, some of them were no. quite poor quality you would wonder how much has been you know allotted to vip packages and tickets when people just want to go and see a gig and not pay for all the added extras look you did want to talk about barbie so i want to make well, sure you get your speak on it um it's set to win out the much hyped box office competition um with its uh, projected us opening of 110 million dollars we are it is opening here at the weekend as is oppenheimer um which one are you going to see the trick would be to go to both on the same day three hours into oppenheimer then sneak out into barbie after that five hours Amazing. It's great for cinema. Oppenheimer is supposed to be amazing. Again, it's not Tenet. That's great. Oh, my God, Tenet. 
Uh, Barbie will be great. I'd say it's going to be great because, again, the director, she did Lady Bird. A lot of the film buffs are interested in it. The whole internet sensation. It's, 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 it's going to be, and it's supposed to be very, very funny. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I've heard clips from it. It actually is brilliant. And, and you know, I heard a couple of reviews as well on both movies and they said, look, if you have two and a half hours to spare, I think Oppenheimer is three hours, but two and a half hours of Barbie. <laughs> it's a good bet for this weekend. It's meant to be choice. really emotional as well. This yeah. is what I keep saying. I, keep, I saw a load of people who were at the Irish <laughs> premiere going, why am I crying at Barbie? So, oh, no, it'll be a good... It'll be a good weekend um, of, of film if, you go. if well, you're into it. Well, that's our, that's our film review uh, for the night. Ken and so Barbie. Go see both, <laughs> say. Uh, my thanks to Louise, to Damien, to all our panellists tonight. That is it from us. Uh, our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also find us on Instagram and on TikTok. But from all the late team here, good night. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.